This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always for this penultimate discussion is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? I'm well, and I just realized I get to introduce our very last uh, episode in just a oh, few days. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm good. I uh, am excited to talk about this second to last episode. It's a big one. We got a lot of discussing to do and a lot of plot lines here to follow. So stick with us. It's going to be sort of a, uh, a complicated discussion, but I'm excited to get to it. Well, let's go ahead and go through our introductions real quick. It's only been a couple of days since we recorded because uh, you're getting married soon and we're just trying to like finish these yeah. up so that you're not recording from your honeymoon. Yeah, uh, <laughs> as dedicated as I am to this, uh, not a whole lot of Wi-Fi where I'm going. So I'm going to yeah. gonna not. But yeah, just just a few days here, really. So we're trying to make everything come to a head this week. It's just going to we're just going to I'm going to be bored after it's all done, honestly, because this week is crazy. <laughs> Okay, so thank you to Katie, Columbia America 76, and Niall on, or maybe Neil? I don't know. I think it's Niall. I've got a friend uh, with that name. I, I think Niall. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's that one, one Directioner or whatever. <laughs> it's spelled sort of similar. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I'm not a One Directioner, but that's okay. <laughs> so this episode is called AARM or ARM. <laughs> It aired on May 9th of 2013, was directed by David Rogers and written by Brent Forrester. So Jim, as assistant to the regional manager, and Dwight, as manager, have decided that Jim would benefit from an assistant of his own, the assistant to the assistant to the regional manager, or AARM. (laughs) So he holds a contest, of course, to find out who that person will be. Daryl is caught back at Dunder Mifflin after sneaking out without saying goodbye, and the group figures out what to do with him as their final farewell. Dwight is caught in some significant feelings when Angela brings her baby Philip to work, and Jim convinces Pam that he's really back for the long haul and that he's exactly where he wants to be. And I didn't even mention Andy, but we should start with him, but you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I I really liked your use of the phrase long haul just now, because it calls back to the interview, it's called The Job, back at the end of season three, mm. when Jim was interviewing with David Wallace. And so David asks him, so where do you see yourself? Long haul. He uses that exact phrasing. And then he chooses Pam. Yep. That's the moment. That's I, a good, I don't know if you did that intentionally. It was not not awesome. intentional. You did it. I, I will say it was 100% <laughs> intentional. I associated that <laughs> phrase with Jim, but I forgot why. So maybe my brain oh, okay. was like, okay. Teamwork. See, yeah. See, it it's good. We, we know what we're doing. So yeah, there's lots of twists and turns and topsy-turviness in this discussion. Like we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but it'll make sense. There's reasons. There's method to the madness. We are starting with Andy because let's face it, this is probably the lowest we'll ever see this character and we want to get through it. So Andy, last time we saw him, he had uh, burned all of his boats because bridges are too good for him. At the end of the previous episode, Living the Dream, he had just completely cut all ties with Dunder Mifflin so that he didn't have something to fall back on as he presumed fame of any kind. So he signed up to audition for a show called America's Next Acapella Sensation. I have some questions. Uh, <laughs> he says it's on channel TBD. Is, does, is that the actual broadcast letters for the station or has the show just not even found a home? I Which makes yeah. Andy's chances of being discovered even slimmer because this show has not even been picked up. Uh, I feel like it's not been picked up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's a bad idea. <laughs> but that's beside the point. <laughs> if anybody 
Like, if I know anything, I know that America loves acapella music, you know? Like, it's just not... Well, I mean, it's gotten better it's gotten since more this popular. has aired because of Pentatonix, largely. Yeah, that's sort of the one. still, still, no, no. Yeah. So he also tells us, just quick tidbit, that this is the day that the documentary premieres. So it's been a couple of weeks. And Andy meets a girl in line named Casey Dean, who is just as delusional as he is. They become friends, naturally, while they wait. And she just is enabling his nonsense. More evidence of the show being bad. <laughs> the guy who's going to host the show is Mark McGrath, who is the lead vocalist for Sugar Ray. <laughs> and so funny, like literally in the car on my way home today, I heard a song by Sugar Ray. And I was like, okay, this is, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. And the judges are Clay Aiken. That kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from American Idol season two. Santa Gold, sure, she's a singer songwriter. And then Aaron Rodgers, who was the is a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. So there's just it's like a hodgepodge of things. It doesn't make sense. They're talking a cappella. I, I saved the actual description of the show for funny moments, but if you wanted to go into that now, that's fine too. It just it's bad. And Andy is like desperately clinging to this as is almost like his last hope. We can save that for later. But Casey <laughs> starts out sort of as, as a competition figure for Andy, and then they quickly become sort of friends, I guess, waiting in line. It, it, this, this looks like American Idol in its heyday. I mean, it looks really, really popular. There's a big, huge, long line. In fact, people are getting a little bit jealous, specifically Andy and Casey, of all of these, quote, human interest stories that are getting featured. You know, the, uh, the war vet, the homeless single mother of three, and... How how dare they spotlight these people when we are just as qualified and good? So Andy sneaks off to go put on stage makeup and a costume and becomes an old man. Oh, he takes the lifts out of his shoes because unlike Andy Bernard, this character is his real height. Uh, <laughs> so Andy Bernard is a character. I guess so. Yeah, we have it there. Casey recognizes him immediately. He doesn't look like an old man. He looks like... A guy in old man makeup, good old man makeup, but old man makeup. And he sort of, he just waits around all day in this line and they get to the front of the line and they're told that the judges aren't seeing any more people. And so sorry, but tune in to watch America's next acapella sensation. And Andy gets really mad. This is the thing that he chose to pursue and he burned all of his boats, all of his bridges. So (laughs) he demands to be seen. He rushes past the guard. And sneaks into the building, and he literally barges in on this girl's audition, runs in while she's in the room, and the judges are not impressed, and they're even less impressed when Andy, who, by the way, is still dressed like this old man, then puts on his character of an old man because he's been Andy this whole time. Like, okay, they already know that this is an act. They don't want to hear him sing. He sings anyway. They're not impressed with his singing. They're like, look, you're not good enough not to mention your your attitude and your character and what you're doing and breaking the rules, you're also not good enough. And he sits down on the ground and starts crying. Santi Gold tells him, like, look, you can't just sit here and cry. And he's sitting there bawling, oh, yes, I can. And uh, it's really, really <laughs> embarrassing. And he's a full-grown man. Oh, this is all being filmed, of course, because it's for TV. Mm-hmm. He's able to get them to be quiet while, while he sings, but then he just, he squanders this opportunity, which wasn't a real opportunity, but still, by singing... What he calls the Cornell fight song, research tells me it's actually the Cornell alma mater, but whatever. Uh, but why? 
Why? We know that his time at Cornell is a big part of who Andy is. His character, he even says, is Ezra Cornell. We know that Cornell is also why he's standing there today. Like, his love for acapella grew there. But when have you ever seen someone on a singing show sing a school fight song or school song? Like, I raved about how good Andy's rendition of I Will Remember You was at the end of the last episode. Why not do something like that? Mm-hmm. Because it makes too much sense. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then because this doesn't show Andy's talent. And then when they don't like that, he starts singing another song. He starts singing You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile from Annie, a musical written in the 1970s as like a backup. Like, what? Where? where is your good idea here? Because none of this is putting your best foot forward. Oh, we also learn while he's rambling to the judges uh, that he did, quote, unspeakable things with Carla Fern, his agent. Mm. So, yikes, that relationship took a turn from the professional to the unprofessional. So he's, uh, he's in a place, and that's what we got of him in this episode. No other developments, really. There was one other thing. He did say that he slept in his car last night. Um, oh, yes. Now, whether that's because he sold his home or whatever else, or maybe it was just to be there early. I mean, benefit of the doubt, maybe he's not homeless. The judges, they don't have the same background that we do for Andy. And so Katie and I were talking before we actually hit the record button, said, you know, I, I didn't dislike the Andy part of the storyline as much as I have in the past, but I definitely felt more sorry for him. And I do. It's a moment of desperation. And like this, it's it's been a couple of weeks. Who knows what he's been doing in the couple of weeks since, apparently getting with Carla Fern. But <laughs> other than that, it doesn't seem like he's had a whole lot of luck. It's sad for him, that's for sure. Now moving on to uh, some stuff at Dunder Mifflin. Dwight, as I said, has chosen Jim as the assistant to the regional manager. But Jim, as a prank, convinces Dwight that he needs his own assistant, the assistant to the assistant. And now who could possibly fill that role? Jim, as sort of, again, this prank tells Pam that by 2 p.m. Dwight will pick himself to be (laughs) A-A-R-M. So he holds this competition that is very, very important. This is not fun. It's not fun. Even though the contestants will be participating in carnival-like activities and eating corn dogs, these activities are purely for the distinction of competition. Do not enjoy them. (laughs) He's just sort of playing into what Dwight's ideal office is, which is no nonsense, no fun. And so Jim is sneaking in some fun for everyone else, it seems like. He asks people various random questions about what Jim is thinking about, what number am I thinking of, what song stuck in my head, what animal am I thinking of. And he basically gets Dwight to think that he's incredibly in tune with Jim and that they're basically reading each other's minds so that, man, he would be a really good assistant to me. Oh, he can't because he's the manager, but man, he'd be a good assistant. Uncanny. Throughout the day, Jim just further and further convinces Dwight that he's the only man for the job. There's a challenge where the contestant must relay a message to the boss during a meeting, but the message is talking about the client that the boss is meeting with. And Dwight, of course, knows the right way to handle this. And then there's a third challenge, which is an obstacle course to get the boss his hot coffee. Phyllis, who tries it, is doing okay, but is taking way too long for Dwight's liking. So Dwight grabs the coffee and sprints through the course. And he and Jim decide together at the same time that Dwight (laughs) will be the new assistant to the assistant to the regional manager. So this hierarchy is uh, a little bit, as you said at the beginning, a little bit topsy-turvy, a little bit wrong, but they get there. This whole storyline is early office shenaniganery and it's fantastic shenaniganery yeah (laughs) i love that word jim and dwight yes they're friends now but they still have some of that same old dynamic and jim knows that he's not being serious he's presenting as serious and everybody else sees him 
pretending to be serious. And it's like everybody else is in on the joke too. It's like, yeah, we're okay with Dwight being the boss, but we're going to have some fun with it too. Because Dwight has sort of shrewded up the place in a good way, not in the the Andy definition back in Traveling Salesman. But there's, you know, like extra security measures. There's an inbox, outbox for paperwork on his desk rather than just handing him things to sign off on. He's still doing a great job though, as we knew he would because he loves the place. I, I love this whole storyline because it's it's just fun. Like the whole mm-hmm. assistant assistant to the regional manager is fun. Sort of starting tr- to transition to the next thing. Halfway through this tournament, Daryl shows up and talks with Pam for a minute. And she asks him, hey, how's Athlete going? Last we heard, you know, they had a buyout and they're going to go on this giant tour. And Jim said no, but Daryl's going. He says, you know, we're living like rock stars. I'm about to eat free steaks with my sports heroes in 32 different cities. And Daryl sort of plants a seed. He says, Jim really doesn't want to come. Pam says he he says he doesn't want to. Daryl just does not understand the depths of the problems Jim and Pam had because of Athlete. Because then he, he keeps pushing. He says... Well, I hope he doesn't regret it. Pam says, well, he seems really happy being back here at Dunder Mifflin, but Daryl just can't believe this. And so after the final challenge and the the decision to make Dwight the assistant to the assistant to the regional manager, uh, they have a crowning ceremony in the bullpen. And Pam like gets upset in the middle of this and runs off. And Jim follows her. And when he gets to her, he says, hey, are, are, are you OK? She says, you know what? No, I'm not. That conversation with Daryl definitely like shakes her up a little bit, and she's worried that Jim will be unhappy with the choice he's made to stay in Scranton, to give up athlete, to be with her. Maybe he'll regret this in a year, in five years, somewhere down the line, and he, she is worried that he will grow to resent her because she won't be enough for him. And Jim, it's now Jim's turn to not understand. Daryl didn't understand earlier, now it's Jim. He says, you didn't force me to make this decision. He, he made this decision himself. She said she kind of forced him. He denies this. What, what do you think? Do you think that Pam forced Jim to choose her and to give up athlete? I th- it's a hard question. I, I think it was sort of in its own way. And I, I don't want to use this word lightly. And I don't mean it any, like with any harshness. It was sort of an ultimatum mm-hmm. because it was like, look, I am your wife and I cannot do this. So you choosing athlete and choosing Philly over me is saying like, is taking back your marriage vows is what you're doing is, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not putting this first, you're not putting this team first. And when she reminded him of that basically is when he realized what he was doing was against his promise and came back. I wouldn't call that a force, but I, I can, if I was in her position, I would feel that same guilt, I think. Of like, I made you do this because of me. It definitely was an ultimatum of some kind, but I don't think that she forced him to do anything. She she told Jim how she was feeling, and it made Jim realize how blind to her feelings he'd been this whole time. He was pursuing things for the family and ignoring the family in the process. And and so he actively has chosen her now over advancing his career further because she is that important to him. Yeah. So in any case, she still doesn't believe him. So he says in a talking head, I know this is against the rules, guys, talking to the documentary crew, but he says, I'm going to need a favor from you. And the camera guy says, you got it. Let's do this. So before we get to what he means by that, We'll look at Angela and Oscar. Again, 
Sorry for all the flipping and flopping, but it's a really in-depth, intertwined episode. So taking a break from them, Angela and Oscar, we get our first look into their living situation, and she's looking so much healthier, so much better. She's clean. She looks rested. Oscar's place looks great. It's clean. It's big enough for them. But it's not all smooth sailing still. Philip's daycare has rejected him. So now he's at Dunder Mifflin for the day, and we see that Oscar has taken on a responsibility of, of taking care of Philip. He and Angela sort of have a parental bicker about the missing apple snacks for the baby and how Oscar is supposed to pack them, etc. It's very parental, as I said, which is cool to see Oscar kind of stepping into this role of a caretaker for Philip and sort of for Angela as well as he helps her get back on her feet. So that's a new relationship we've seen for them, but it does point very much to this accounting as family <laughs> situation that we've mentioned in the past, especially when Philip is brought into work and Kevin gets very jealous of Philip because everything's about him all of a sudden and he hates this baby for taking the attention away from Kevin because apparently all <laughs> Oscar and Angela did was focus on Kevin all day. But he starts to get very, very jealous and he's lashing out and yelling at Oscar and Angela, much like a new older sibling might do. So it very much feels like this family unit in accounting. The way they resolve things with Kevin is they say, here's a $25 gift card. There's only $7 left, but this is from Philip. It's for you. (laughs) It's just a peace offering. And Kevin says, oh, that that was a cool move, bro. (laughs) And they become... And now they're friends. They're friends now. (laughs) That's that's all it took. So good for Kevin. Good for Philip. Everybody's happy now. (laughs) Dwight is a little taken aback, though, by the fact that Philip is at work. Angela first shows up with Philip in the conference room meeting. He's like, wait, what are you doing? What, what, what's he doing here? Because this is probably the first time that Dwight has been around Philip since Free Family Portrait Studio at the end of season eight, when he took the diaper to the testing facility and found out that he was not the father. So it's kind of a big deal that he's around Philip now because the last time he was, it was a big disappointment. And so it's just kind of strange for him to have Philip around all of a sudden. And he starts to have some suspicions. Now, this is going on at the same time that he is still pursuing Esther because he has now accomplished two of his life's greatest aspirations. He's the owner of a 1,600-acre beet farm from his Aunt Shirley. He's now the regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton. Those are two of his like, longtime goals. And now he's looking to seek out his third aspiration, which is to be married and start a family. And he's planning on proposing to Esther today. He has the ring in his pocket. He's ready to go. She comes in for a picnic, but he starts suspecting that Philip is actually his son again, uh, just based on coincidental things, mostly like incidental things, just small things that are really of no significance. But they start to hint to him that, oh man, this boy might be a shrewd. So he, he, he cancels his plan to propose to Esther. They're, they're sitting with a nice picnic in his office, and he has the ring out and ready to go. But then looking at Philip, he puts the ring back in his pocket. He says goodbye to Esther. They're still together, but he just hasn't proposed. And then later in the office, when Philip is crying, calling for his mom, Oscar's holding him, and, and Dwight offers to take over. But Oscar's kind of skeptical. You know, I, I don't know, he's calling for Angela. But as soon as Dwight holds him, he quiets right down. Now, we do know that Dwight does have sort of a gift for babies, and he quiets them down, and we've seen that with Cece. Mm -hmm. Back in viewing party. Mm -hmm. But sure enough, Philip quiets right down, and Dwight takes him to his office, and laying on the ground, Dwight has a beat and a check for $1 million. (laughs) Which one do you want? This stinky, dirty beat or this money? And of course, the child picks the colorful, bright, 
larger <laughs> object because it's a child who will grab the purple thing instead of the piece of paper. But hey, Philip wants the beat. And White says, any ordinary child would have taken the money, but you're no ordinary <laughs> child, are you? No, I can tell by your gorgeous, widely set eyes. Now, I will say that is one blonde, blue-eyed, widely set-eyed kid mm -hmm. who looks a lot like Dwight. But later, Dwight calls Angela into his office, and he tells her sincerely, look, it was almost as if he's saying, I think that the testing facility made a mistake. I think this kid might be a shrewd. Mm -hmm. Like, look at him. And uh, if he is, the child needs to be accorded what's his, because I have stuff for my kid. I've got an inheritance. I have a farm. And he'd be given the right to be raised under rigorous shrewd traditions, which is a hard phrase to say. Two of the three of those don't sound bad, but <laughs> he also offers to Angela. He says, look, if Philip was mine, you would be compensated with a marriage proposal and you would both move in on my 1,600-acre beet farm. And it's all very businesslike and it's all very appropriate. And, it, you know, these are the things, according to what I have planned, this is what he would be given and what you would be given. And Angela says, you know what? If he was your son, that's a great plan, but he's not. Can I go? Dwight is disappointed, but he does accept it. But he's, he's obviously saddened by this. What's his play here? Like, did he really think that Angela would go for this just because it would be an improvement over her current living situation in Oscar's closet? She seems pleased by what he's saying over the whole enormous farm and inheritance, the right to be raised under rigorous root traditions. That all makes her seem happy. It's like she's trying to fight back a smile. And then he says, and you'd be compensated with the marriage proposal. And that's all there is to it. Marriage isn't a compensation. She, she's obviously upset by that. It's not payment. It shouldn't be, at least. It should be about love for the other person. And Dwight offering a proposal in exchange for raising a child he believes to be his is selfish. Like That makes it more about him wanting a son than it is about him wanting a family. And Angela repeats what she said before and what the geneticist said at the start of the season. Philip isn't your son. So... Dwight's left pretty disappointed, and Angela seems disappointed too, because she thought this was going to be more than, oh, you'll be compensated for allowing me to have your son. My instinct is to say that he got wrapped up in the excitement of truly believing that this kid is his, mm -hmm. and that maybe he pulled something inappropriate. And like, I think he really does want Philip, if he is a shrewd, to be given everything that is his, that will be his. And Dwight really wants to pass on his line and his money and his, like, he wants to be generous, I think, for his child. And I think in that moment of excitement that he might be a father, kind of crosses the line there with Angela, knowing that she is in a vulnerable spot. She might be more willing to accept this if she was also secure as well. I think that was an inappropriate line to cross, but he did. But she, uh, she says, well, problem is he's not yours. So it's all sort of moot. As I said, he's, he's saddened by that, but he does accept it. Going back to Jim and Pam, the documentary crew has compiled a DVD for Jim to give to Pam. This is the, the little extra help that he asked for. And he takes her to the break room and says, listen, everything that you need to know about what my feelings are for you and whether I made the right choice in this athlete situation, everything you need to know is in this disc. And he starts to present this to her and then Dwight interrupts and he throws his summoning being bag and Jim tries to blow him off. I'm in the middle of something pretty important right now, Dwight. I understand. Let me forward this to my assistant. <laughs> and Dwight then says, Jim, I need you now. 
I need you. That's a pretty major thing. So Jim comes and Dwight tells Jim about his plan to propose to Esther. And he says, look at all these pros of marrying Esther. She's young. She's beautiful. She's got good genes. Our families get along. She weaves blankets and rugs. It adds up. Jim says, okay, then, well, what's the problem? And Dwight looks up and he's got tears in his eyes and he just says, Angela. So this reveals a little bit more into maybe what Dwight's play was here. The question I asked, what, what his play was in trying to convince Angela to come with him. Yeah, maybe a part of him thought that Philip was his son, but I think maybe even subconsciously, he was really just trying to find an excuse to get with Angela again. Things with Esther were getting serious, and it's often in times when those things get serious that you start to have doubts. And when he has doubts about love, he goes back to the woman he basically proposed to three episodes ago anyways, and moving on. Her turning him down again made him realize that she was what he wants, or at least start considering that. So is it the smart choice like Esther seems to be? Probably not. But he loves Angela. He always has. I think back to that quote from Moving On. Again, just like I said three episodes, it was probably like four or five episodes ago. He says, we have wasted too much of our lives ignoring the fact that we belong together. That's not something you say and then you're done with a few weeks later. Right. This is something that had a, a grip on him. And so Jim gives outstanding advice like Jim has done in the past. This is especially meaningful following the arc that Jim has just been on. He says, I don't know what you want me to tell you, man. All I know is that every time I've been faced with a tough decision, there's only one thing that outweighs every other concern. One thing that will make you give up on everything you thought you knew, every instinct, every rational calculation, love. No matter what happens, you got to forget about all the other stuff. You got to forget about logic and fear and doubt. You just got to do everything you can to get to the one woman who's going to make all of this worth it. At the end of the day, you got to jump. And Jim says this. He, he says, you love Angela Dwight. I think you always have. And I think that's the, the like final thing that Dwight really needed to hear was, yes, Dwight, you can stop doubting this now. You love her. I know it. You know it. Do something about it. <laughs> have we heard them say that to each other, Angela and Dwight? I don't think we have. What, actually say I love you? Mm-hmm. I don't think we've heard it. I don't think so either. And I don't think they have said it. I'm just inclined to think that they haven't said it to each other. So Jim telling Dwight, like, it's almost like a, how blind are you? You love her. You've loved her for years and years. Go get her. Like, she's right here. Go get her. And Mm -hmm. um, just, I mean, as you said, Jim's immediate arc he was just in, and also his arc from season one. The woman you love is in this building. Mm Mm-hmm. Go get her. What's, why, are you, why are you waiting? She could not be here. You could not be here. A lot could happen, but she's here now and you're here now and you love her. Go. Dwight is clearly inspired. He's in tears. Kicks Jim out. I got to do something about this. <laughs> now, before we can really take that home as much as I might want to, we're going to not. Yeah, we're getting close to bringing things together, guys. We're so close. We have to jump parallel while Jim... Is, is with Dwight having that awesome conversation in Dwight's office. I love saying Dwight's office. That's so exciting. <laughs> Pam is sitting down with a computer and this DVD that Jim has just brought to her and said, look, this is going to explain everything. And then he left. And she's like, okay, <laughs> can I watch it? Uh, 
because they were going to watch it together. And so she's like, <laughs> well, great. I would love to watch this. So she does. And she sits down at this computer, DVD in hand, puts it in, and it's their highlights. The Jim and Pam highlights. It's everyone's favorite Jim and Pam moments from the series. Remember when Pam wished, in, in promos, when she wished that she had a DVD of their best moments? Well, she's holding one in her hand now. And uh, she gets to watch she and Jim fall in love on DVD, which is like the ultimate gift you can give someone. That's so cool. <laughs> and so while she's watching, Jim is doing that. No matter what happens, you've got to forget about the other stuff. Voiceover. We're seeing Pam watch this as Jim's talking. And the last scene on the DVD is from Christmas Party, uh, season two, episode 10, when Pam finally gets her teapot from Jim after a long day of trading for it back and forth. And this was a gift that Jim put a lot of thought into, and it's full of bonus gifts inside. Then in season two, we saw that Jim pulled a card from the teapot that Pam didn't get to see or read. She didn't know that there was a card. But watching the DVD, she sees that there's a card and her face is like, uh, what's in the card? I want the card. <laughs> Why didn't he give me the card? <laughs> Jim walks in and she pauses it and she's wiping away tears. I mean, this is just awesome. He says, well, there's one more thing. And he pulls a card out of his back pocket and she asks what it is. And he said, well, it's from the teapot. This will tell you everything you ever need to know. Not enough for me. You are everything. We don't get to know what's in the letter. And that used to bug me. But honestly, I like it so much better this way. It's something that's just for the two of them. Mm -hmm. They've had their whole lives on display for almost a decade, and they deserve to hold on to a little bit of privacy and a little bit of intimacy. And this is it. And it should be this. It should be this redeeming love letter that saves their relationship. It, it should be kept private, and I'm glad that it is. Well, remember when Jim first told the, the documentary crew about that card? So he was preparing the gift. It was before the Christmas exchange ever happened. And he said, and here's a card because Christmas is the time to tell people how you feel. Mm -hmm. And this was when she was still with Roy. Jim was still pining after her helplessly, hopelessly. I mean, like you said, we don't get to see what the letter says. I saw one source that said what it actually said was it was a personal note from John Krasinski to Jenna Fisher oh, that she yeah. didn't know about and was reading for the first time. I, I couldn't find true confirmation on that, but I also didn't look very hard. So there's that thought. But in the context of the show, it, it hits home. It fixes Pam's doubt because in reality, whatever it says specifically, it's Jim telling Pam his feelings for her long before they even started dating. And his love for her now has not waned since then. If anything, it's grown stronger through this whole ordeal. So who cares what it says? Because it communicates to Pam exactly how much Jim loves her. And that is, uh, it's, it's just such a great, I was going to say sort of the cap of, of this whole span, but we have another episode. <laughs> now to get back to Dwight, which is just so, so wonderful. At the end of the day, Oscar decides to drop off Philip. And Angela's driving home alone when Dwight, with a megaphone and his volunteer <laughs> sheriff's siren on his car, runs her off the road and she starts screaming at him and cursing at him. But Dwight, over the megaphone, says, shut up, woman. Listen to me. I love you. And I don't care that Philip's not my son. I will raise 100 children with you, with 100 of your lovers, if it means that I can be with you. And Angela wants to understand what he's saying, but the megaphone is a little bit too loud. And she says, can you put that down? He says, this expresses how loudly I love you. Okay, but it's, it's, it's too loud. I can't, I can't focus. He puts down the bullhorn and he falls to his knees and he pulls out a ring and he 
doesn't even get to the end of his rambling about where the ring came from. Uh, and she accepts his proposal and he just grabs her and kisses her. And it's another one of those desperate kisses mm-hmm. like we talked about in moving on. Yeah. They finally say, I love you, which, as I said, I think it's for the first time. And oh, bonus awesome news. She says, I love you. Oh, and I lied to you. Philip is your son. Dwight is like, wait, why, why would you say that? Why would you lie? And she says, well, I lied because I wanted you to want to marry me because you wanted to marry me, not because you felt some sort of obligation and compensation. And thankfully, he's not mad. He is the cutest I've ever seen him. He's so excited. <laughs> Get out. I'm a dad. And he's just, he starts crying. He's so excited. He grabs Angela again. And they walk in. We're going we're gonna to get to this in a minute, but they walk into Poor Richards at the end of the day to watch the documentary hand in hand, which we haven't seen in such a long time. So finally, 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 they have communicated. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Them walking into Poor Richards holding hands is a big thing because their, their relationship was always secret before. Mm-hmm. They didn't want people to know. And so now this is like them telling the world, we love each other. We don't care who knows because we love each other. It's amazing. <laughs> it's such a good scene. Okay, so now we're past the, the big emotional, happy, tears in my eyes stuff. <laughs> so as, as we said, they are walking into Poor Richards. Uh, Kevin had an issue with his TV. <laughs> so he decided he's going to watch in Poor Richards and everybody decides to join him. So they're all, all watching a paper documentary in the, in the middle of a bar. Sports bar, And yeah. <laughs> it airs and everybody's there, including Andy. Andy gets himself together enough and shows up to watch with everybody else and it airs starting with the pilot like the very first thing they watch is the very first thing we watched back at the very beginning back in 2005 so who knows exactly how they've compiled what we've seen into the nine hours or whatever length it is of documentary but it starts the same way we did which is a great bit of nostalgia and you know how fitting that they all watch together at poor richards which has just been a staple of like scranton and of the series this whole time and we don't watch the pilot. We hear the pilot. We hear that first scene with Jim and Michael. Mm-hmm. Grasshopper, you've come to the master for, for guidance. <laughs> but we don't watch that. We watch their faces watching themselves, which is so much better. And remembering Michael. And remembering and Michael. And it's like a different perspective because, I mean, they were clearly fed up with Michael in the, that pilot episode. <laughs> and, and so now looking, looking back, back they're, they're smiling. Right. It's like, oh, how bad was he? We, we kind of did love him. And <laughs> looking at baby Jim pre- wife and kids you know it's it's uh, right. it's pretty cool the last thing here which we have talked briefly about is daryl sneaks back into the warehouse he has borrowed a truck from dunder mifflin to fully move his stuff to philly so he's at a scranton and he's coming back to return the truck but he doesn't want people knowing that he's there because he hates goodbyes and last week when he left dunder mifflin for good he snuck out he left kind of slyly and didn't say goodbye to anyone so he doesn't want to see these people and, and have that awkward confrontation. But later, Jim is holding a challenge for AARM in the warehouse and Daryl accidentally walks in on them and they see him and they call him out for not saying goodbye. And they're pretty <laughs> mad, especially Aaron. And she demands that he get upstairs so that they can deal with him as they see fit because dang it, we deserve a goodbye from you and you didn't give us one. He does it the wrong way from Michael because remember in Goodbye Michael, he he tried to, or he did leave a day before everybody thought he was actually leaving, but he tried very intentionally to have a, a moment with everybody on his official last day, even though they didn't know that's what it was. 
So he did it wrong, but now he's making up for it. They sit him down in the break room and they they try to divvy up his time so that he can spend it with all of them. Oscar wants to have lunch with him. Meredith wants to get loaded and listen to Zeppelin in her van with him. Clark's Clark's messing around, but he says, I just want to sit you down with a tape recorder for six, eight hours, let you tell some stories. <laughs> Joel says, hey, now, I left without saying goodbye. That's on me. But I'm not going to spend the rest of my day with you doing stuff because you feel sentimental. So I'll do one thing with (laughs) y'all, whatever you choose, not the van thing. (laughs) And so they decide that the thing they all want to do with Daryl is to have a dance party, because why not? Daryl says, "Okay, you better get some good speakers up here because we're going to do this right. And so they get the speakers, they get some uh, disco lights and strobe lights and all that kind of stuff. And Boogie Wonderland by Earth, Wind and Fire pops up and it's it's just so joyful. It's so fun. Everybody gets their moment with Daryl. He dances across the room and his final talking head. He says, I wanted to leave quietly. It seemed dignified. But having Kevin grind up on my front while Aaron pretends to hunt me from behind is a more accurate tribute to my years here. <laughs> I'm going to miss these guys. You know, Daryl is so ex- so psyched for what's happening with Athlete, and he was ready to get out of Dunder Mifflin. He deserved to get out of Dunder Mifflin. But it doesn't mean he won't miss these people he worked with for more than a decade. So it's a nice, fitting goodbye. And I like that everyone sort of has their own style. Nellie and Daryl partner up, and Phyllis and Daryl do this, like, sultry samba thing. And Creed and Daryl wail on air guitars. Oscar, Kevin, and Daryl Vogue, Jim and Pam and Daryl do a conga <laughs> line. He and Aaron just sort of like spin. It's very much to everyone's personality, which is a, a great send-off. Yes, it so is. So then moving into the cold open as uh, the start of our funnier moments, there's uh, one of Dwight's first moves as manager is to increase security in the office by buying one of those security doors that locks uh, from a jewelry store that won't open without Aaron's go-ahead. And he emails out the secret security codes every morning. They're sort of riddles. And Aaron starts first. She says, the tea in Nepal is very hot. And then the entering person must say, that day is code, but the coffee in Peru is much hotter. And Dwight forgets his own security code. And after three wrong tries, Aaron must, quote, give him the steam. (laughs) Unless Dwight wants her to break protocol. But Dwight doesn't want to be the person that breaks protocol. That's not who he is. So sure enough, go ahead and do it. Uh, And he says, well, it's harmless steam to scare intruders. I'd like to get harmful steam, but it's expensive. It does work though, this steam, because uh, just a few seconds in, Dwight is like banging on the door and telling Aaron to break protocol because it's terrifying white enveloping (laughs) steam that kind of covers your vision. But Creed has found sort of a alternate use for it. He brings in his suits and saves money on dry cleaning, (laughs) which is, you know, lemons and lemonade. (laughs) Lemonades. Andy, just briefly touching on the acapella singing sensation stuff, he tells us that it's a really cool show. It's like a revision of the whole American Idol voice sing-off phenomenon. On this show, all three judges are mean, (laughs) which is a fun play on the hallmark that there's at least always one mean judge, and it's usually Simon Cowell. And while he's waiting in line, he's listening to 8 equals 440 on his iPod to lock in his starting pitch. When he finally does get to sing, though, he doesn't start on A, just saying. Um, I checked. (laughs) I'm glad you did. I thought the same thing. And also, there are tuning forks, and it's fine. I actually have a tuning fork right over there. I have have a handful. I'm sure you do. I I remember walking around in college, and all the voice majors would like literally walk around with tuning forks, or like they used it for a certain class or something. Yep, it was a (laughs) one professor that 
Yeah, it, mm-hmm, I remember very well. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, the description of the show that is given to us by Mark McGrath says, well, first off, he says, thank you for your patience, and we hope to see you guys within the next five to seven hours. No big deal, five to seven hours. Now, just to give you a couple parameters of the show, each of you will sing a song for 30 seconds, after which our judges will decide if they want you in their acapella group. Now, each group will start with 90 singers, which will compete in a series of singing and physical challenges. Oh, and look out for that pesky mole. <laughs> Andy says there's a mole. He says, oops, I'm, I'm, not suppo- I'm not supposed to say that. All right, no mole. Forget I said it. All right. <laughs> And he says, what mole? What are you talking about? I already forgot about it. <laughs> but it's just so many bad ideas turn into one. It's the worst part of every reality show. Dwight is proudly showing off the ring that he will use to propose to Esther. The uh, background that I didn't give earlier was that this is his grandmother's ring, which is lovely. But it was made from a bullet that Dwight himself took out of her left buttock. And uh, that she was a moonshiner who was shot by Adolf Coors who I assume is of, you know, Coors Brewery, Coors Beer, because she was a moonshiner. So he's proposing with his grandmother's buttock bullet ring, which I would be happier not knowing the story if it was going to live on my (laughs) finger for the rest of my life, but to each their own. I love the way he describes it when he is actually down on one knee, though. He says, this is a ring taken from the buttocks of my grandmother, put there by the gangster patriarch of the Coors dynasty. (laughs) Melted in a foundry run by Mennonites. And Angela's was like, yeah, okay, yes, I will, please. Let's get to the end of this. Please stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dwight is describing his relationship with Jim as his assistant to the regional manager. He says, once upon a time, we were natural enemies, but we've overcome our differences. Much like Germany and Italy in World War and Jim interrupts. No. <laughs> Dwight, thanks for a second. No. Good call. Because you're about to describe the Axis powers in World War II. Not a good, not a good comparison. Yeah. Dwight and Jim, but let's be real, mostly Dwight, prides himself on running a no-nonsense office. Jim holds up a sign that says, five days since our last nonsense, and uh, (laughs) Dwight changes it to a six. My guess would be that Dwight has been manager for about six days. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) Jim, as assistant regional manager, is just great. He plays alongside Dwight perfectly. He does everything he wants him to do, but with his own funny Jim way. Mm -hmm. In a conference room meeting, Dwight, welcome. He welcomes you. Please take an agenda item. Your agenda taking pleases him. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) he's just, dang it, being number two so hard. Yeah. And as I mentioned, he's like making his own nonsense jokes without letting Dwight in on the joke, but everybody else is in. And it's not at Dwight's expense either. Jim at that same conference room meeting says, let's not get crazy and ruin our no nonsense streak. All right. So for instance, if you're expecting a fax today, please don't yell out, Michael J. Fax from Facts of the Future. Okay, that's nonsense. <laughs> Pam says, question. <laughs> Jim says, yes, beautiful girl in the front. Pam says, oh, thank you. We are expecting a water de- delivery today at 10 a.m. What if, as they're delivering the water jugs, someone screams out, nice jugs? Jim says, uh, he's like looking back to Dwight for approval. That, that, that's obviously nonsense. Nonsense. Obviously. What percentage of nonsense do we tolerate in this office? Everybody just sort of mumble zero no nonsense you, you can't have nonsense <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> it's like everybody's putting up with this because it's it's silly it is but it's like jim having fun with it and it's okay now you mentioned the summoning bean bags earlier <laughs> how dwight summons jim rather than using words of course remember jim's cl- jim's desk is closest to dwight's office he could just peek his head out and whisper and jim would hear him but he throws bean bags at jim to get his attention 
The beanbag says now on it, so Jim knows that Dwight wants to speak with him now. My hope is that there's also beanbags that are like half an hour, like 30 minutes, or like end of day. <laughs> I said the same thing in my notes. I was like, I, I, it leads me to believe there's got to be one that says later or maybe just specific time periods or something. That's yep. funny. When they're trying to get everybody's attention before the conference room meeting, they're trying to get everybody to quiet down and he references pete he says that means ye plop and pete says plop still dwight says we owe andy that much and everyone agrees (laughs) and pete's just like (laughs) fine (laughs) that's the thing that they're gonna honor dwight and esther are apparently just perfect genetic matches uh Dwight says that a lot of their family members are the same people because they're third cousins, which is great for bloodlines, but is not technically incest. And Jim says, oh, right in the sweet spot. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's that fine, fine line of close, but not too close. When Jim has finished giving his advice to Dwight, Dwight says, you're a good assistant, Jim. (laughs) And Jim's response is, not as good as you. (laughs) Dwight says, that's very true. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> and Jim says, you got it. <laughs> it's very them. Very them. But like at their best. Some people are apprehensive about the documentary airing. We see that Meredith is, however, not very apprehensive. She's excited for the documentary to air so she can finally let her hair down. She says, I'd better come out of this smelling like a rose. I've been on my best behavior for nine years. And if it wasn't for the cameras, I would have done some truly vulgar crap. Oh, dear. So I do not want to know. Yeah what the line is for her the number of times we've seen her topless is is <laughs> however many that number is it's that many too many <laughs> yeah Ooh. so many dwight at some point in the day has allotted himself private time so he's not completely i mean i guess everybody's privy to a break and so dwight uses his break time to paint a model of the Battlestar galactica and so jim interrupts his private time And Jim says, I love Star Wars as much as the next guy. And Dwight says, hey, hey, seriously? And he holds up the box. And it's obviously Battlestar Galactica. And Jim says, my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and this is so funny, too. He says, well, this might make up for it. I have found an enormous source of overlooked PFN. Dwight says, which is, of course, just potential future nonsense. (laughs) Dwight says, yes, good abbreviating, Jim. That saves some time. (laughs) It's like the Kevin... Why say many word when few word do trick? Right. (laughs) Stanley, however, is not excited for the documentary to air. He says, over the course of this documentary, I've had three affairs. If you find my body in a ditch, let me save the police some trouble. My wife did it. (laughs) (laughs) I would not doubt that. Uh, That does sound likely. Yes. Uh, Oscar has a few funny moments, too. At the beginning of the episode, he says, Angela's divorce from the senator has been very difficult for her. When she got kicked out of her apartment, I invited her to move in with me. Ironic that it's Angela who's living in the closet. hey Because, <laughs> <laughs> irony, that's, fr- that's true. It is. Um, that, that is that. And then him playing role of kind of father, uh, gay dad, I guess. He says, saddle shoes with denim. I will literally call child services <laughs> in regards to <laughs> Angela's outfit choice for Philip. And then finally, he has one more talking head. He says, I can't believe the doc is finally going to air. When this thing started, I was still having sex with women. As was Kevin, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) I think times have changed. Which would be a great time to start talking about some of Kevin's funny moments. Uh, (laughs) You mentioned earlier that his TV was broken. He says to the office, oh, announcement. Some of us whose televisions got broken during an all-you-can-eat shrimp commercial. 
We'll be watching tonight at Poor Richards, but note, all are welcome, not just those who saw an all-you-can-eat shrimp commercial and charged their televisions. I mean, same. It's tempting. They make it look so good. <laughs> Some of his neglected feelings uh, scenes. <laughs> There's one where he has a talking edge that says, Philip, Philip, Philip. It's all about Philip. I hate Philip. <laughs> just the way he says, Philip. <laughs> I hate then later he is banging his pen on his mug while oscar and angela are attending to philip and angela tries to quiet him down she says kevin 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 says oh you know my name well that is shocking and he keeps doing it angela asks him to stop kevin says what i'm moving the ink down in my pen for work oscar says here use my pen and hands him a pen kevin says don't tell me what to do And they both You're not my real They both try and quiet him down. (laughs) And Kevin says, No, I don't need this. And you obviously don't need me. And he leaves and he says, Tell Philip that his stupid little baby wish came true. (laughs) (laughs) At one point he's trying to give the silent treatment, but he's not doing a great job. Uh this is right before Oscar and Angela and Philip. It's important that Philip is there because Philip gave him the uh the iTunes gift card. That's twenty five dollars, it's actually seven (laughs) dollars. And when they're coming up to give him this gift, Oscar says, hey, Kev, how you doing, buddy? Kevin says, can't hear you. I'm giving you the silence treatment. How does it feel being ignored? (laughs) Even my Google Doc doesn't like that it says the silence treatment. It's like, do you mean silent treatment? Like, I think he did, yes. But it's not what he said. When he becomes friends with Philip, he gets the opportunity to hold him. And he's like, oh, wow, what a chubbers. And he pretend loses his balance and Angela's real concerned. No, no, Kevin, no. And Oscar gets real concerned too. Oscar says, no horseplay. And then Kevin leans over, you want to play with the cactus? And Angela's like, no, no. Not baby no. experience. And he has a talking head with Philip in his arms. He says, so me and Philip were just talking and we decided we're going to be best friends. He's a little standoffish at first, but once he starts buying you things, man, you can tell he likes you. <laughs> One last talking head about the documentary airing that I forgot to mention, which is my favorite one. Creed, of course, says, this airs tonight. Oh, my God. If my parents see this, I am toast. <laughs> I mean, we theoretically. <laughs> and he's got to be like 70. <laughs> yeah, but, but remember, he, who did he bring to the Free Family Portrait Studio? He took a picture with somebody. So That's who true. knows? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> he's been staying out late and working at a paper company, which was clearly against the rules. When they show up to Poor Richards, this is my last couple of small moments. When, what, sorry, when specifically Angela and Dwight show up at Poor Richards, Creed greets him at the door. He says, hey, grab a seat. We have that table and that table, but not that table or that table or that table. Floor's up for grabs. Meredith has been hogging the can. And Dwight is just so deep and perfect and schlag right now. He's holding Angela's hand. Everything's right with the world. And he leans Creed's head over and kisses it. And Creed just goes, oh. and. They try to convince the bartender to change the station from the college baseball, I think it was, college baseball, to the mm-hmm. documentary. And he's like, no, <laughs> that's a bad idea. Why would I do that? <laughs> and they have a vote and it's tied between the people who want to continue watching the game and the people who want to watch the documentary until Andy shows up and that breaks the tie. So they're watching the documentary after all. But while they were still trying to convince the bartender to change it, Kevin says, sir, please, this show is about me and my attempts to find love in all the wrong places. <laughs> it's like, that's not going to convince anybody either, Kevin. <laughs> and it's also a 
there was maybe one episode with like a C plot in which Kevin had a romantic yeah, story. Very, so very little of that. Yeah, we, we don't know much about his love life. And uh, Cree does not want to watch the documentary. He raises his hand when the bartender <laughs> yes, asks he, he wants to watch the game. So <laughs> he's not that interested. We did have some deleted scenes. Every morning, Angela takes Philip to the daycare at her church. She loves St. Julian's because they don't care about your social position. They, I added quotes to this, they even let the custodial staff attend services. Mm. Well, some services. And uh, as she walks out to the church, a woman greets Angela at the door by saying that they can't accept Philip anymore because Angela is cohabitating with a gay man. And she whispers those words. And then she corrects herself. Well, another gay man. And Angela tries to explain, but the woman will have none of it and tells her that her lifestyle choice does not accord with their values. And then a young girl walks towards them, the women and Philip, and the lady picks the girl up and tells her to stay away from Angela because she shouldn't learn any confusing words. Angela's not sure what confusing word she's talking about, but on her way out, uh, says some (laughs) adult words. Think back to the episode. I'm proud of Angela. She doesn't blame Oscar for this. She's come a long way in her acceptance of others. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has. Nellie has a talking head. She says, we just don't know how many people are going to be watching tonight. It could be thousands. It could be millions. And at first she seemed kind of excited, but now it starts to go south. She says, what if word reaches China? They are very judgmental over there. So don't air that bit. Do you think she's talking about the whole Saki, Saki was her name bit from the Florida episodes? Uh, yeah. That's the thing. That's, the, the, that's the very possible. Thing. I, wow, I tried yeah. to think of things where she was like racist or something and that's the closest i could remember that's very possible yeah i i wasn't sure what she was referring to but that makes sense was her name <laughs> what's her name there's an angela talking head she is not even sure she'll watch she says because if it wasn't for this documentary outing my secretly gay ex-husband i would still be in a fairy tale marriage mm-hmm. as in yeah. make-believe yes <laughs> not not a actual fairy tale because um it wasn't in the conference room meeting phyllis asks what if we come off looking stupid i mean we don't even know what they're going to air aaron agrees you're right we could look like idiots kevin speaks up and says guys do you think we're going to be hounded by the paparoni <laughs> oscar <laughs> says the same thing he says at poor richards all we know is that life won't be the same and dwight cuts him off and says hold up guys this is verging into chit chat which could quickly escalate into horseplay, which can veer around the corner into you-know-what sense. (laughs) He then says, next item on the agenda is the announcement of the final agenda item. Jim says, everybody listen up. Here comes the announcement of the final agenda item. Dwight says, no, no, no. The the final agenda item is to announce that it's the final agenda item. So there it is. Jim says, everybody listen up. Here it comes. (laughs) Dwight says, no, this is what I'm saying. I did it. It's done already. Announcement of the final agenda item. Which is coming right now. I already announced it like five minutes ago. <laughs> Serve it like it's hot. <laughs> Dwight just says, okay, this meeting is adjourned. There are no more announcements. This is the final agenda item. Jim says, after you announce it. <laughs> Dwight just says, oh my God. And he walks out. <laughs> and Jim says, good job today, everybody. And he winks at Pam, who was just trying to keep a straight face the whole time. <laughs> I liked that. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty great. And then... The last is a string of Toby and Nellie scenes, which was a whole plot that was Oof. cut out. Toby goes up to Nellie at her desk. It's a pretty big night tonight, referring to the documentary. And he asks her if she wants to go to Poor Richards tonight to watch the Prog, he tries <laughs> to say, but catches himself. He realized that that sounds dumb. So the Prog. 
Ram. <laughs> she says, uh, yeah, uh, well, everyone's going, so I'll be there. And Toby asks, no, 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 would you like to come with me on a date? And she doesn't respond. She said, or it could be less than a date. Just we would know that I asked you. <laughs> Nellie bluntly says, no, no, I don't want to go with you. <laughs> then my favorite line, <laughs> he says, well, I figured it wouldn't hurt to ask. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it did. So then he meets her again in the kitchen, and she's already annoyed seeing him. She's like, ah, what? What do you want? And Toby says, Webster's Dictionary defines begging as the act of asking with earnestness and humility. And so, with earnestness and humility, I, Toby, do beg you, Nellie. <laughs> and, and Nellie tells him that she is going to go with him. She's fine. Fine. I'll go with you. Fine. But she's very annoyed. And he's very happy. And he goes into hug her and she just, no. Nope. <laughs> and she keeps doing this. She doesn't like him. But she keeps agreeing to stuff. And this reminds me a lot of the Jan and Michael relationship, although Nellie isn't nearly as awful and abusive, I think, as Jan is. But mm -hmm. neither woman liked the man. And they keep going back, as Jan says, collapsing in on myself like a dying star. So <laughs> just stop. You don't like him. Stop doing this to yourself. Right. At the, the tail end of that last moment he starts to walk off and then he turns around and looks like he's about to ask her like maybe about what capacity in which they'll be together at poor richards and she gives him a look like do you really have anything more to say <laughs> and he just turns around without saying anything looking kind of puzzled doesn't say anything though and so he then approaches her at her desk and he says hey can i can i talk to you for a moment and she says well i've never really had much of a say in that have i he says, okay, this is really hard for me, but I don't think I should be with someone who doesn't want to be with me. She says, you're, you're canceling our semi-non-date-ish standabout at Poor Richard's? He says, yeah, that, what, whatever it is, what is it's, it's over, the whole thing. And Stanley slow claps from his desk. <laughs> and Nellie laughs and says, do, do you understand that you are breaking up with a woman who is in fact not dating you? says, yes, I do, for the first time in my life, and it feels great. <laughs> he walks off. Nelly, it's Nellie's turn to look puzzled. She looks over at Stanley, and he just sort of shrugs, and then she has a talking head. She says, what was that exactly? Did Toby just reject me? Does he think by rejecting me, I'm going to suddenly want him? That old cliche? Because it didn't work. Newsflash, I still don't find Toby attractive. Even though he finally grew a spine and told me where to get off. All right, maybe I find him a tiny bit more attractive now. But, I mean, come on. Toby's my last chance? Oh, Toby's my last chance. And now he doesn't even want me. My God, he's good. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and so she goes off to, to find Toby. Yeah, she finds him at his desk, and he's looking at a website called Fairytale Marriages. Funny, we've heard that phrase again uh, from Angela, these deleted scenes. And... Nellie says, well, this is going to come as a surprise to you. Certainly came as a surprise to me. But I have reconsidered, and I will go to Poor Richard's with you as your date. And Toby rejects her this time. He says he doesn't want to be with anybody as a second choice. She says, second choice? Oh, try 11th. Not my <laughs> second choice. And he tells her that she's proving his point for him, and that he wants the fairy tale. Sorry, I want somebody who wants me. So he goes back to the website, looking at these pictures of women, picking out his hopeful future wife. And then later, Nellie comes back to Toby's desk with her phone over her head, playing music, like, say anything. She says, all right, you want the fairy tale? Well, here it is. Toby, I am throwing myself at you. I will be with you tonight. Take me to this dark den and do with me as you please. 
And Toby, wow, okay, yeah, that's all I wanted. Somebody wanting me for me instead of running after them. And he accepts her offer. She takes a beat and then says, no. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm sorry. I, I can't. I, I thought I could, but I can't. Oh, it's remarkable, isn't it? How close we come to making huge, life-destroying choices. But no, so sorry, though. Buffalo wings on me tonight, though. <laughs> Toby says, all right, free wings from a woman. Not too shabby. Oh, so this this whole storyline was just kind of like, okay, this is kind of weird. And then the the whole payoff of Nellie realizing what she's doing and accepting a date with Toby, and she's like, oh no, what what am I doing? I can't let this happen to me. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> it was that that's what made it worth it. And that was it. <laughs> and because we've had so much else to talk about, I have I do not have a discussion topic, but we do have a voicemail. And it is from a person who did not provide their name, but they are from Australia, mate. Dingo babies. I'm so sorry you said that. So sorry Chad's saying this right now. I'm just going it's, to... It's an office quote. It is. It is. That's true. I did forget that briefly. Yeah. Okay, Dingo I'm babies. <laughs> okay. Uh... <laughs> I did okay. forget. I did forget. <laughs> so here is from an unknown caller from Melbourne, Australia. Hi, guys. I'm calling from Melbourne, Australia. Um, I wanted to ask, what do you think about the believability of the show? So in the beginning, it seemed really realistic. There wasn't anything too weird. But then later on in the show, we get to You Can't Eat Cats, Kevin. Uh, it kind of bothered me. I know it's funny, but I just wanted to hear your opinion. Okay, so do you have any thoughts on this, Katie? We, we've sort of touched on this a little bit briefly um, recently, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what our, our discussion was on and where we could find that. But basically, yeah, it does get less believable. It does become more sort of a caricature of these characters, but I don't have a huge problem with it, honestly. It, it is not believable, I think, in a lot of ways, especially with the with Kevin, with Dwight occasionally, with Andy sometimes, mm -hmm. with Creed a lot of the time. But it's TV. I always have to remind myself of that and I think remind some people sometimes that like it's not I don't think that a documentary necessarily and this might be a bold statement, but I don't think that the documentary that the show is making, a documentary about a paper company, would be worth nine hours of watching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you need some drama and some ridiculous stuff so it's a tv show not a documentary for that reason because it's more fun yeah so i i found where we talked about this we talked about it in a in a bonus episode for our a patreon bonus. subscribers but uh what it comes down to me and this is actually a different thought than i think i uh, communicated in that episode um there are some things in the show that get more serious as the show goes on so like these last couple of seasons, the whole Jim and Pam arc, Dwight and Angela, the senator, the affair, parts of Nellie's stuff, like her mental health issues. Those are like real things. Those are real struggles that people deal with. And yeah, there are silly aspects to them, but a lot of it is real. And as those things got more serious, yes, we got some other characters who became less serious and more uh, cartoonish in some ways. But I think that's a, a good balance is what it ends up becoming is there, it's like an inverse of each other. You get more serious going this way, you get more silly going this way, and everything else falls in the middle. And I, I think that works for TV. 
Yeah, if you don't balance that, then the office becomes a drama, which it's not. So, yeah, I I agree with you that it it balances out the show. So, thank you for the voicemail and the good question. Um, but that's our thought on that. Is yeah, it's it, it is a TV show, and yeah, there are some things that are silly, but ultimately, it's effective in what it does. And with that, that's the end of the official 107th episode of An American Workplace and our second to last episode discussion ever. We've only got one more. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Go over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. That's a big help for us in bringing our show to new listeners. If you have feedback or ideas or just want to say hi, you can leave us an email at workplacepod at gmail.com. And there's still our voicemail line. You can call in to be heard on the show. There's only one more. Although, honestly, by the time you're listening to this, we might (laughs) have already recorded our finale episode. Uh, So I've, I've already made sure to post about voicemails on social media. So hopefully you saw that. But just in case... Dial 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. Make sure to leave your voicemail under a minute. Leave your name so we can thank you by name. And we, we would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash kd.white. And the best place for me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. There's also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and my other podcast, Cinescope. You can find it where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 107 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 108 for our discussion on the last episode of season nine and the show finale. Bye. Bye. And Dwight is just so deep in perfect and schlag right now. Oh, no, I can't say that. Uh, that's the next episode. <laughs> oh, right. Oops. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dwight is just so... <laughs> I can't believe that's, that's so funny. And that's all she wrote.